our heads and pray. Uh, God, thank you for the honor and privilege of being here this morning. Fantastic people, fantastic community, fantastic music, and an awesome God. I pray that over the next few minutes, as we share some thoughts together, that uh, we might oh, just maybe be convicted of things we need to change in our lives, maybe a different approach to um, church, religion, God. And, uh, but most of all, I, I pray that we can leave here with the hope of such a gracious God like you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated, I think. I think that's what we do, right? We sit. Is that a stool or just a table pretending to be a stool? Okay, sure. Sounds like a plan. How's everybody doing today? Good? Listen, I'm going to tell you this, okay? Um, Amos is bringing down the hammer today. That's the honest truth. I scared him because back there I was talking about, like, when I got to Hosea chapter 5, they're like, Hosea? I'm like, oh, my bad. It's Amos. So, um, I, this is what I want to do today. I don't want to, this is not a sermon, okay? Some of you know me. You know kind of how I do my stuff here. Um, this is more of a conversation because Amos has some really, really, really difficult words for us. So I'm not going to say those things. I'm going to let Amos say those things. Is that okay? Come on now. Okay, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I'm going to give you a phone number. Can I give you a phone number? So all of you that have phones, put it down. 407. This is my cell number, by the way. Okay. 407-334-334. 6-6-407-334-3866. And if you don't write it down and halfway through it, you want it, you just raise your hand. I'm like, hey, what's your number again? I'll give it to you. It's okay. 407-334-3866. Somebody was just calling me and hung up on me. Okay. I'll see how it goes. So this is what I want you to do. Okay. As I'm talking, if you have any thoughts that you'd like to contribute, any questions that you have, if you want to just cuss me out or any of that, just go ahead and text me. Uh, and then uh, at the end, if I have time, depending on how things go, I'll entertain some of these texts, um, go through some questions. But I want to tell you this, that I don't have all the answers. Shocker. Sometimes I don't know things. Surprise. And that's okay. Because I believe that all of us together can learn and grow and actually hopefully experience the thing that God wants us to experience here on earth. So I, I want you to just be engaged and kind of like be vocal and just participate. And we'll figure out how that goes. Is that a plan? Because I don't want to do this alone. Are you with me? Okay, that, that, that's, that's much better. So last week, if you were not here, you could have done like I did and watched it online. And I watched Tony uh, preach, and I was so tempted to bring some carob cookies today for everybody. But then I didn't, because they're nasty. Okay? All right. So Amos. Um, and listen, today is straight up from, from, from the book of Amos. I don't have any funny stories to tell you. Uh, or anything like that. We're just going to go through this. Is that okay? Amos chapter 5. This is how it starts. It says, Hear this word that I take up from you in lamentation, O house of Israel. It goes on and says a couple of things. Then in verse 3 it says, For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand, 
shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have how many left? Ten left. If you have it, you can pull it up on Bible uh, or your version thingamajig. I don't have slides today. Ten left. In other words, God is saying it's 90% aren't going to cut it. And it starts like, like, well, that's a bummer because we're God's chosen people. We're his favorites. We're his favorite kids. So we should just receive some, like, that's not a good thing. He goes on to say, verse 4, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. Again, to his people. Now, I'm going to say this. If you're visiting us today and, and, and you're not part of our faith tradition of Adventism, welcome. Um, I will say some harsh things perhaps about our faith tradition. Sorry. Uh, we love us. We love you. And uh, I think that as we talk about and process what Amos is saying in the context of Israel, I think it's important for all of us to kind of listen to what he's saying in our context today, because sometimes it's very easy for us to say, oh, that was Moses talking to Israel. Okay, don't think that. Think this is God talking to me. This is God talking to us. Today in Boulder, Colorado in 2019. Not back then, but right now. Thus says the Lord, seek me and what? We, we, we read it together. Seek me and what? Live. Now, fascinating thing about the word live there in Hebrew. It is an imperative promise. What? It, it, is, it, is, it is a command. It is not, God is not giving us the option to live. He's commanding us to live, but it's also a promise that if we do and seek, which by the way, I'm just thinking that the word seek doesn't mean that we have all the answers, that we have discovered everything, but that there's what? More to be found, discovered. And sometimes in our faith tradition, we get to the point where we're like, we got it all. We figured it out. Thank God. We have all the answers because the whole world knows that we have the truth. Isn't that awesome? But somehow, somehow, to the people of Israel and to us, God is saying, listen, seek And it is in that seeking, in that discovering, in that revealing, in that learning, in that growth that we're experiencing, in the fact that perhaps we don't have all the answers, it is in that that God is saying, you will live and I will give you life. Life does not exist in complete answers and perfect boxes and clean mirrors and sterile environments. Life exists in its birth in the mystery of discovering and growing and wrestling and questioning and should I say it, doubting. Oops. He goes, seek and live. But listen, he goes, but do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal. Or cross over Beersheba. 
We're like, oh, it's old cities. No, those weren't just old cities or places. These, my friends, were sacred spaces. These were sacred cows. And Amos is saying, please, stop living in the past. Don't try to make 150 BC, 1400 BC. Stop dwelling on 1844, 1888, 1993. Not sure what happened in 1993, but I'm sure something happened, and, and we can look back at that and say, hey, 1983, awesome, woo. So, so Amos is like, listen, you're caught up in all these traditions. You're caught up in all this past things that you've done and you're so proud of because, first of all, first of all, Bethel was completely connected to Jacob. Because it was in Bethel where Jacob came as a person without a future and left without a future. He's, in that moment, he came and as Jacob and left as Israel. But then Amos is saying, don't seek Bethel. Stop that. Gilgal, Joshua, and Beersheba. Oh, Beersheba had so many moments in history for them that was just fascinating with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when Amos says, listen, stop going back there because you are, you are holding on to those things as the thing that's the thing, and you're missing the thing. He continues and says, seek the Lord and live. And over the next few verses, he keeps bringing this idea of Yahweh, 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 the Lord. He keeps going, and then verse 12 says, For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous. The righteous people are afflicting the righteous. God is not saying you're afflicting yourselves. No, like you who think are righteous are afflicting the righteous. Who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Verse 14, third time. Seek good and not evil that you may, what? Live. Once again, he brings it around, and once again, he says, Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, verse 15, we're just repeating ourselves. I'm not repeating myself. Amos is repeating himself. Because probably wants to make sure, like, you know, you tell the kids, I'm not going to tell you this again. You tell the kids all the time. I'm not going to tell you one more time. Indeed, you told him one more time, you know. It's like a few minutes later, okay, I'm not going to say it again. And then if you catch yourself, you'll say the words, I've told you five times already. When you said the first time, I'm not going to repeat myself. That's what we do. And sometimes God, unfortunately, has to kind of take the same approach with us. Hate evil, love what is good. And listen, it says, and establish justice in the gates. It may be that the Lord... Did you hear those words? 
it may what? It may what? Be. But is, is that maybe a little bit of hope? Maybe, okay? He's not like completely committed to it. He's like, I'm not going to go there yet. But it may be. I don't know. Perhaps. So he goes through all this stuff about, about seeking good and, and, and hating evil and, and, and justice and all these things. And gets, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit because the moment I said remnant, a lot of people got happy. <laughs> Japheth isn't here today, is he? Okay, just text him. And here's, here's what Amos is saying, and, and what God is trying to communicate, not just to them, but to us, is this idea, okay, that right must be done because it's right. Not because we want to please God, not in order that we may gain some favor, from someone, perhaps God or even ourselves, because it makes us feel good when you take a selfie next to the homeless person. Maybe, um, John Stott, uh, one of our contemporary theologians, um, wrote a bunch of books, and one of his, it's one of my favorite quotes, I read it once, I found it in a PDF file, and I can't even tell you where it's from, but it just got singed in my brain. He said this, he said, when our good deeds, when our good deeds are motivated by evangelism, I'm going to repeat that first phrase again, when our good deeds are motivated by evangelism, your philanthropy reeks of hypocrisy. Lord have mercy. When your good deeds are motivated by evangelism, your philanthropy reeks of hypocrisy. In other words, he's saying, we got to do right because it's the right thing to do. Not because there's some reward that we're expecting for that. Because we're really good at it. Our faith tradition is really good. I was like, you got to get ready. Because Jesus is coming. Get ready because Jesus is coming. Yeah. And sometimes we dangle this little carrot in front of people. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. You're like, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. i got to get ready. Now, I, I've shared this with some, some friends. And you're my friend, so I'll share that with you. What if, just playing a game here, okay? What if, um, all right, I'm getting some texts. This is good. All right, I don't want to get distracted. What if we got a text message, like I just got some, okay? What if we got a text message from God? Seriously, okay? Got a text message from God without any doubt. This is God sending you a text message. And in this text message, God said, listen, um, I made it all up. There is no heaven, there is no hell. 
Let's just pretend that we got this text message and God says there is no heaven and there is no hell. The question that I have for you is this. How would you live your life different? Because if all of a sudden you're thinking, well, my life would be completely different because I would... Then we don't get it. Because you and I and God's church and God's people should live a life that is right because it's the right thing to do, regardless of whether there's a reward or a punishment in the future. We do things because it's the right thing to do. Jesus walked on earth, healed people. Many of them never followed him. And you know why he did it? Because he had compassion on them and it was the right thing to do. Not because there was an ulterior motive, because his good deeds were motivated by evangelism. No, no, no. It was because doing right is supposed to be done because it's the right thing. And Amos is trying to get this through to Israel. Because Israel doesn't get it. Israel uh, goes on. Uh, he, he, verse 18. I, this, is, this is awesome. <sighs> verse 18 of chapter 5. He says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Say what? Aren't we supposed to be excited about Jesus coming? Aren't we supposed to be excited about the day of the Lord? Like, yeah, woo, bring it. And Amos is like, ah, careful what you ask for. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's like, why would you want it? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and ran into a bear or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and got bit by a snake. You know you're having a bad day when, right? So let me ask you a question. Does your theology inform your practice? Or... Have we perhaps gotten to the point where our practice now informs our theology? That we have made God into who we have made God into, and therefore our expression of our lives is a reflection of our theology. Because if I connect what Amos is saying here, then I think that perhaps our theology is wrong. And here's why I say this. I'll keep reading. It'll make sense to you. Verse 20, chapter 5, book of Amos. He's bringing the hammer. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom and no brightness in it? And then verse 21, he says, he says, I hate. Now, I take that back. I despise. It's like he caught himself. 
Like hate is not strong enough. He says, I hate, no, 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 wait, wait, let's take that back. I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you're off, you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But, okay, but. He says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, let me ask you something, okay? Let me ask you something. I've read the Bible. There's, there's a bunch of stuff there that honestly, still to this day, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Just because I don't understand that I'm not that bright. It's okay, not that, not that I'm saying, oh, I got, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't be spreading rumors about me. But here's the one thing that I see. I'm looking for that one text where God comes to Israel or to his people or perhaps us and says, you've been great to the poor. You have helped the oppressed. You have given sight to the blind. But what I want from you is pretty songs, comfortable pews, a beautiful facility, no jewelry, no makeup, stripples for breakfast. I haven't found that text. I've not found the text where God says, listen, listen, you have done a great job in the community taking care of those that are in need, of those people who are less fortunate than you are, to those people who might not be from your country, but you're opening it to them because it's who you are and what you do, and you're going to welcome and embrace and love and hug. And even in the midst of all the things that they do that you find vile, you've opened up your arms and you've gotten the stench of their sin on you. But see, that's not what I want. What I want is lights and newsletters and theological discussions after a message. I haven't found those texts, but I have found plenty and plenty and plenty that say the opposite. I despise your worship. I despise the things you do in my name. What I need, God says, is oceans of justice, rivers of righteousness. So let me ask you a question. What would it look like if the Boulder Seventh-day Adventist Church was known for oceans of justice. What if our Adventist church would be known Come to the altar, for rivers of righteousness instead of this? We'll put on a show. Just get comfortable. This space is all yours. It's all about you. Come to the Savior, God our Creator. 
So we could end here and go home really bummed, like, ah, oh, we're horrible people. What is wrong with us? And we finished chapter five, and it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, like, come on, like, give me something to work with. 
Because sometimes our worship has become just like our lives, convenient, polished, comfortable. But if, but if we go back, okay, I said I would come back because we love the whole remnant thing, right? Yeah, of course we do. It's fantastic. If we go back to chapter 5, verse 15, there's, we alluded to it. There's those three words that just perhaps just spring a little bit of hope. It says, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Now, now, here's the thing. I, I know we've talked a lot about all kinds of stuff and depressing, kind of sad, and Amos is just kind of beating us up with, you know, with a big old hammer. Um, and, and, but, but here's the question. Here's the question. Has Yahweh, because Amos mentioned Yahweh so many times, has Yahweh forgotten to be gracious? Has Yahweh forgotten to be who he is? He is, and if you forget everything else I say today, okay, don't forget this, that the God of grace cannot forget to be gracious. Now, like, we look at chapter 5 of Amos, and we're like, but I didn't see a whole lot of graciousness there. I didn't see a lot of hope until we go back to it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph? The promise of Beersheba was, I will be with you. And when Joseph gets sold as a slave, the words from Beersheba echo once again and say, I will be with you. When he lives with integrity in, in, in Egypt and he gets thrown in jail, the promise of Beersheba once again shows up and he hears the words of God saying, I will be with you. And after years in prison where perhaps all hope was gone, Beersheba comes again, those words, I will be with you. And Pharaoh says, there's not another man in the whole place that has a connection with God like this person. So when Amos says, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph, God has given us hope. Hope in saying that no matter how much our hearts speak to us about failure, failure to discern the greatness of God, failure to walk in the way of holiness, complacency, self-satisfaction, whatever it may be, that grace has brought us safe thus far and that his grace will lead us home in the midst of all that because God cannot help to keep coming back and coming back and coming back even though we bake 
carob cookies. Because he knows one day he's going to get chocolate. Now, you guys look so good up here and you're ready to sing a song. But I promise that I will read through some of these texts. Is that okay? All right. Everybody okay with that? All right. So, so here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, that's good. It, it, it seems to me that the answer to that puzzle is this. Like, listen, I am not... Um, I'm just going to read this. So I don't know what you guys are saying, so don't blame me, okay? I'm just telling you. Uh, I, the self-giving love that we are asked to give the world around us is simply unsustainable in our universe without giving, sustaining God. Only in a universe that is fundamentally friendly with a good God it is, it, is it a viable life strategy to live in an unselfish way? This still doesn't quite answer the question of why Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most we pity. And they should have preached instead of me. Uh, let's see. I don't even know what getting ready means. <laughs> we got to get ready for Jesus. Do we know what that means? It's a good question. If I'm resting by faith in Jesus, work f if, if by rest, if I am resting by faith in Jesus' work for me, aren't we always ready? Yes. This person should have preached too. Oh, okay. If no heaven, would we possibly feel more obligated to do more for the disenfranchised and hurting and fight injustice because we aren't expecting God to come soon and fix it all? Mercy. Holy cow. Screenshot, hold on. Okay. So, but, but that's so true. Sometimes we're like, oh, hey, Jesus is going to take care of it. Jesus is coming soon, so don't worry. Well, you know, he's going to fix this whole thing. It's not my job to fix it. Can you repeat the quote about evangelism and hypocrisy? Yes. John Stott said, if our good works are motivated by evangelism, our philanthropy reeks of hypocrisy. Let me say it again. If our good deeds are motivated by evangelism, our philanthropy reeks of hypocrisy. I'm almost done here. Uh, happy Sabbath, Danny. Hey, you too, Bob, out in California. Uh, oh, wow, this is a long one. I don't know that I would finish by 1040 if I read this one. But just so that you know, I didn't ignore you. It starts this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'll quit there because it just keeps going a long time. Okay? Uh, and let's see. Let's see. Um, my wife sent me a gif of a nun saying, preach. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wish I could show you. It's pretty funny. And somebody else says, hey, John loves you more and more every day. Um, can you post the evangelism quote on Facebook? Sure, but not right now. So here it is. Thank you for the conversation this morning. And I want you to know this, that in spite of all the beating up that Amos gives to us, in spite of all these things that we finally feel, we feel so inadequate, and we come to God and we're like, ah, I just spit these songs. Like, is that not good enough? Listen, listen, in spite of all that, God wants us to be a people that just express justice like oceans and righteousness like rivers. 
And above all things, the God of grace cannot forget to be gracious. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for our time together this morning and for the strong message of Amos and the way it challenges our lives and the way that we do our lives. And I just ask a blessing for the Boulder Church, for all of us here, that we may wrap our minds around what would it look like for the Boulder Church to just be known for oceans of justice and rivers of righteousness. What would that look like? What would that do for our world and our community? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.